some things. I, I have been surprised that even online, I'm shocked by the fact that so many people have listened to these sermons. And I, I think there's a hunger out there for people to understand biblical truth as far as uh, the roles of men and women. They, they look for churches out there on like sermon audio that will preach on those topics because most pastors don't like to preach the, the, the clear distinction of the sexes to make a difference. They, they, they really don't like doing that. I, for whatever reason, uh, you know, the rise of feminism, whatever it is, I, for the life of me, I, I, I understand there's an agenda that's involved with that, that, that you, can't, you can't build your empires uh, when you preach like that. You, you can't because it, it, literally, if you preach the order of the sexes, half of fundamentalism and what they do would be done. They would be done. They, you wouldn't. If you preach the true biblical roles, they would not be able to continue doing things the way they do it. I don't say the churches would be done. I say their schools, their structures, their everything, it would crumble. Why? Because of the foundation is not biblical in what they do. Because there is a difference between men and women. And God made that very, very distinct. And unfortunately, along the way, we've accepted the evolution of Eve. And, uh, and the evolution of, of uh, the, males, the roles of male, men and women. And because of that, everything, is, has been, uh, everything has been, the waters have been dirtied, they've been fouled. And people don't know what's right and what's wrong. And when you say what's right, it shocks them. They're completely shocked. It reminds me of, of in the Old Testament when that good King Josiah, he found the book of the law in the house of the Lord, right? And when they found the book of the law in the house of the Lord and he started reading it and all the people, they, they, were, they just wept and they just, they were, they had never heard anything like that before. And wait a minute, but these are the people of God. How could they have never heard that before? Well, the book was hidden, right? It was hidden, and they had never heard any of those things before. They were shocked at what they heard. They couldn't believe how far they had strayed away from God, how they had strayed away from what God had commanded them to do. They couldn't believe it. They were, they were, they were shocked by it, which is true. When, that's why during times in our country, the same thing happened. During the Great Awakening, well, what did they preach? Well, here's a novel idea. They preached that you must be born again that you weren't, you weren't inherently, uh, you weren't uh, brought into the kingdom of God through your infant baptism or through your halfway covenant, but you had to repent and believe the gospel. Well, that was a novel idea, wasn't it? <laughs> what happened? Well, it wasn't America that was changed at first. It was churches that were. People got saved. They were lost people that filled their churches because no gospel was preached to them. No repentance was preached to them. They were trusting in baptism to save them. And not even a real baptism at that. But they were trusting in that. You want to know why you have a cold, dead Minnesota? It's because you have a bunch of cold, dead churches. It has nothing to do with the, 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 the temperature of the land. It has nothing to do with just uh, because of different things. Because people have said, well, there's never been a real revival in Minnesota. That's a lie. There, there has been real revival in Minnesota. If you go back to 1850 when the Baptists showed up, in 1848 when the Baptists showed up in Minnesota, there was revival here. They planted churches from Minneapolis, St. Paul, all the way straight through the prairies. What is that? That's revival. They did have it. No. They had it. They, they had it. Why? They had the gospel and they preached it. And men got saved. And women got saved. And, and, 
and churches were planted. That's, that, that did happen. People, they, they're ignorant of what real revival is in that sense. Revival starts, people are praying for America, and like I said, you better pray for your churches. you praying for America. What are you praying for them for? You need to pray for the churches. <laughs> when the churches don't even know what the gospel is, when they don't even know what they're doing, uh, how in the world do you think America is going to be any better? It's only the sum total of its own people, right? And they're a bunch of heathens. And the churches are filled with a bunch of smoke, smoke machines and rock concerts and heathens running around. It shocks me to no end. I, I know, I haven't even started my sermon yet. This is why I had to let me ha myself have some time here. It shocks me to no end that I would see older people go to these rock and roll churches and be like, well, I'll go to this rock and roll church here, but I won't go to that service. I'll go to the other one. Well, you're giving money to that church that's... Smoke machines and queers? I mean, what? Pastors in skinny jeans? Right, right. Like that's that's really giving you a word. Giving you a word, all right. <laughs> word of knowledge for you. I, I can't even imagine somebody named the name of Christ that's come from true biblical Christianity in that sense and been to and then slides off over to that. And then they're going to rock concert churches with smoke machines and gay looking pastors. Or better yet, that one in Berean, you know what they're doing now? They just got some screen that pops up and their preacher comes on. On, on a screen he ain't even there there ain't wait you you telling me you got a thousand people there and you ain't got a pastor there you got a telepastor on a machine you got a pop-up pastor on a machine that sounds critical i know i'm trying to be critical of course it does you got a pop-up pastor on a screen what's wrong with you people it's embarrassing. You, you're Baptist and you don't have a pastor? You got some dude from Canada that's preaching to you? Really? There isn't a man among you? That's what I would say to all of them, including the old people. There isn't a man among you that can stand up and lead the people? My goodness, what a failure you are. Close down. What an absolute failure. There isn't a man among you? I'm so sick of hearing church, about churches that need to go out and find pastors somewhere else. What are you doing? All right, I'm done. All right. This is supposed to be about Proverbs 31. Paul, what happened? What did, what, I, don't, I blame you. I don't know how, but I'll find a way to blame you. for. It's those glasses. That's what it is. They just threw me off and I got... Is this online? Oh, great. Uh, I need a pair of those. I, I, it'll make me scholarly. Proverbs 31, 31. Listen, you get the, you know, Lester Roloff used to say it. You get two people right and you'll change the, you'll, you'll change the church and you'll change the country. Amen. You get the papa and the preacher right. You get them two right. That's what he said. You'll change. You, you want to change it? Get the papa and the preacher right. Amen. Make the, they're walking with God. You change everything. Amen. Pastor, families that are led by fathers that go to church, guess what? It's like 75% of them go to church, the families that, 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 that they're productive and they make, their marriages make it and everything that, that go to church. Some figure like that, I saw it. Like 70% or something like that. If the father gets saved as opposed to just the mother being saved and her having to struggle with a husband that don't want to live for God and is not saved, right? It's hard. It's hard on women. Very, very much is. I, I feel sorry for them. It's hard. That's not easy.
My heart goes out to them. That's why I don't give them a hard time, those women, because they're trying to serve the Lord and be faithful to God. They don't have a man to help them do it. And that's difficult. That's a hard position, but it's not impossible because God said it wasn't. Amen? Amen. Proverbs 31, 31, the virtuous wife's future rewards. Proverbs 31, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Let her own works praise her in the gates. Father, we pray you bless us now. Help us as we look at this scripture here and we close out on this chapter, Lord, and we thank you for it. Thank you for all the wisdom that's in this book. And Lord, we're not done with Proverbs by any stretch of the imagination, but we thank you, Lord, for showing us and teaching us this great truth here about this virtuous wife, the example to women and what they should be for the Lord. And Lord, we thank you for your lessons to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, in all that we do for the Lord, we have to remember our future rewards. We, you never, whatever station you are in life, whether you're a husband, a wife, a child, a, a single person, it doesn't matter. You need to remember, a widow, you need to remember that what you do is for the future rewards that you'll receive in heaven. Because there are future, the faithfulness that you show and all those things that there's rewards in heaven for you. And that's what you're waiting on. We don't all, we live in a society of instant gratification don't we? They want instant gratification for everything, right? I want it now, right? I want it my way. I want it right now. But that's not the way God works. Now, there are blessings here that we receive, and we thank God for them. There are multiple blessings that we receive here, but the real ones will come. Amen? There are rewards here that are immediate, and there are rewards to come. There are eternal rewards that we should all be remembering. And we're going to look at both of them today. We, have to, we must never lose sight of our rewards they help us with our sobriety and focus in this life. You know, the judgment seat of Christ helps you to stay focused. You ought to, you ought to think about that sometimes. You know, the Bible warns us not to be weary in well-doing, right? Because uh, we will receive if we faint not, right? We'll be blessed if we faint not. God will bless us. But we ought to think about the future and think about the judgment seat of Christ. It's a sober thing. You know, that I live my life and at the end of my life, is the judgment seat of Christ, right? At the end of my life is my time to see Christ. I'm going to see him. I'm going to, face, I'm going to be face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ one day. And that's important to remember. That gives us sobriety to life. It shows you that if I live for pleasure for 70 years, if peradventure God gives me 80 on this earth, if I live for my own self and my own pleasure, what loss of rewards will I have? I'm going to see Christ. Right? And I don't want to be ashamed at him as, as coming. Amen. So we as children of God, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In whatever station that we're in in this life, whether you're a husband, a father, a church member, a daughter, a wife, a mother, it doesn't matter. We'll all appear before Christ. And we will look at the rewards that we will receive here and the ones that we'll receive there. Alexander McLaren said this. He said, the narrow arena of domestic life affords a fit theater for the exercise of the highest gifts and graces. And the woman who has made a home bright and has won and kept a husband's love and children's reverence may let who will grasp at the more conspicuous prize which women are so eager after nowadays. That was 100 years ago, by the way. <laughs> or more, 150. She has chosen the better part which shall not be taken from her. 
She shall receive the fruit of her hands, both now and hereafter. If the fear of the Lord has been the root from which that fruit has grown, and her work shall praise her in the gate, though she sits quietly in her home, it is well when our deeds are the trumpeters of our fame, and when to tell them is to praise us. Amen. Number one, the virtuous wife's more immediate rewards. You know, some people look at this as, as somewhat of a prayer, too, as well, right? That give her of the fruit of her hands and let her work, own works praise her. You know, that this is the prayer of, this, uh, of the man that is describing this, how he's describing this virtuous wife, or, or even if it's uh, uh, Solomon's mother describing this virtuous wife, that give her, the pray, the fruit of her hand, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her. You know, we could look at this as a prayer as well, prayer that she long enjoys her labors. By the way, you ought to, you ought to pray that as well, that, that your wife enjoys the, the, the fruit of all of her labor that she has done, right? That she has served the Lord and been faithful to God and that, and that, that, that she would enjoy that, that she would enjoy the future in that sense with those rewards. And we know heaven is promised to them by grace, by salvation in Jesus Christ. But the rewards will play out there as well. Lady, you have to remember one thing. Put the hard work in now that you may enjoy the fruit of your labor later. You put the hard work in now. If you slack now, you will have much sorrow in old age when you should have had much joy. If you are too lazy to work hard now and do the hard thing in your youth and train your children in the way they should go now, then multiple sorrow will attend your old age because you squandered your house, you tore down your house, you plucked it down with your hands and have to live with the miserable results of that. Don't waste time. It is the greatest commodity that God has given us is time. It's the only, you can never get it back. Do not waste it. Live diligently for the Lord and use your time wisely. Amen. To praise the Lord and to, and to be used of God to train up that generation. Some will have the terrible rewards of their slothful labor. They will weep and howl and have untold misery as a parent in their old age because when they could have corrected their children and guided them and directed them, they did not. So then this is a warning for you now to train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train them, work hard, and you'll receive your reward. But if you do not, you'll also receive rotten rewards of your slothfulness as a wife and a mother. Let what she has done be spoken of for a memorial of her, said one. Let her bright example be held forth in the most public places. Let it be set before the eyes of every female, particularly of every wife, and especially of every mother. And let them learn from this exemplar that what men have a right to expect in their wives, the mistress of their family and the mothers of their children. Your work either, either way will be seen in the gates. What you have done and what you have not done will be seen. Very plainly, very clearly. Psalm 128, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. That's the promise of God. That's the blessing of God on productivity, on working in your home, on, on serving your husband and, and raising your children. You'll receive the fruit of your hands one way or another. And I pray it may be good fruit. It is her work that praises her in the gates, much like the woman. It is not her speech that wins the day or wins her husband. 
It is her works that win her husband. This, this is the hardest thing for women to understand at times. That it is not their rebuking or their reproving or their speaking to their husband or trying to correct their husband in that way, but it is their living that changes their husband's heart. It is their living that affects their husband. They are more effective by what they do than what they say in that sense. And so it is with all that she does, it is her works that will speak louder than her words ever could. When the world scoffs at the keeper at home, when they scoff at her lack of degrees, her lack of worldly attainments, the fruit of her hands show something far better. They show something that is priceless, that precious fruit that cannot be taken away from her. Do you realize, lady, that all the world's attainments vanish, but what you train and teach your children to do and, and all the labor you put into the home, that university will live on in your children after you are gone and your legacy continues on. As you raise daughters and sons, they will raise daughters and sons. Your work is very important. And by the way, I dare say that you're not told that enough by many. You're not told that enough by, by pastors and you're not encouraged enough, maybe even by your, uh, us husbands at times, that the work that you do is vitally important. And we should remember to praise you for the good work that you do. And it is a shame to us when we don't do it. And I have tried to put that work before you always and tell you exactly what your work is so you can understand it from the scriptures completely. So you're not deceived by taking on some job that is not yours to take on or some duties that are not yours to take on, but that your duties God has laid out very simply and he has showed you exactly and plainly what they should be and that you should work on those things and you should seek to work on those things. They're important. You know, we are saved unto good works, but we are not saved with works. We are saved unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them, right? The Bible says very plainly, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the Bible puts the correct order on good works, always. Grace is always before works. Works are a product of grace. Before that, they are filthy rags. Everything good you try to do before, before the grace of God has entered into your soul and changed you and made you a new creature by faith in Jesus Christ alone, that before that, all of your good works are tainted by your sin. They're tainted by your nature. They're tainted by your fallen nature, right? But once you're saved by grace, guess what? There's a fruit, and that fruit is works. God never puts down good works. He only puts it down when, when men try to use them for justification. But God always, Christians are expected to do good works. You as a child of God, I expect it out of you. If you name the name of Christ, I expect your works to follow. I, I, I expect that as a pastor. And when I don't see that or it's a concern or something, I, I'm going to talk to you about that and say, well, brother, sister, it, there should be these works that do follow eternal life. They are not the root of eternal life, but they are the fruit of it. And I'll tell you what, it's a sad thing when you see churches that, that, don't, that don't teach their people that God expects them to live for Him. God expects them to live holy and separated lives and to walk in holiness. It's a terrible thing. It ought not be. So the good works are talked about a lot. 
The grace of God teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Titus 2, 11 through 12. Dorcas, too, was praised by her works, right? In Acts 9, 39. She was known for her good works. Our works will be examined by fire at the judgment seat of Christ. Your works are going to be judged in heaven. When you go to the rewards bench, right? When you go to the rewards seat, when you go to the judgment seat of Christ, you're not judged on whether you earned eternal life because you couldn't earn it. There's anything you could do for it. Jesus paid it all. Justification by faith alone. Amen. We believe that. It is God's grace that saves a man, changes a man, makes him a new creature. But you are judged for your works at the judgment seat of Christ. It is in the gates that the virtuous woman's works praise her. This refers to the place of ruling and judging. Deuteronomy 16, 18 talks about the gates. I think it's important to understand what goes on in the gates. Hey, I got one for you. And I think it's important for you to understand who's not in the gates <laughs> as, a, as a main focus. Women are not in the gates as a main focus. Where are they? They're home. What, do you expect me to stay home all the time? Well, lady, you oughtn't worry about what I expect you to do. You ought to worry about what God expects you to do. I'm not the hall monitor. I'm not going to run around and wonder what you're doing. I got enough to deal with on my own. But I'll tell you what, the focus of your life is that home. Are those children, that is that husband and those children, that is the focus of your home. And you're not to be seen in the gates. Your works are seen in the gates. See the difference? The fruit of all your labor is seen in the gates. Amen. Come on. That's just Bible right there. Is that a novel idea that we would actually use the scriptures to actually tell you how you're supposed to live your life? See, you say, Pastor, are you telling me how to live? No, I'm not telling you how to live. I'm repeating what God said how we're supposed to live. You say, I don't tell you how to live. God tells you how to live. He just told me you preach it. You preach it. Amen. The gates, it's a place, it refers to the place of ruling, the ruling judges in ancient Israel, right? Deuteronomy 16, 18. Judges and officers, shalt thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Thou shalt not rest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift, for a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. You see, lady, your job is to raise up those judges. You raise up a godly seed to stand in the gates of the city. Your sons or your daughters to marry a man that will stand in the gates of the city. Deuteronomy 21, 19, Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him unto the elders of the city and unto the gate of his place. Now, for anybody that says they're not any bit of a dispensationalist, you better read that verse. Because <laughs> if you slapped your father or you disobeyed your father and you were disrespectful, Garrett could take you out to the gates of the city and they would kill you. Now, are you under the Old Testament or the New Testament? Do you believe, do you believe a little bit of dispensationalism today or what? Amen? Just a little bit? Just a little bit, preacher. Just a little bit. That's funny, ain't it? Woo! Thank God for that New Testament. 
And if the man like, in verse uh, Deuteronomy 25, 7, if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. So I think they spit in his eye and took off. He was a man with one shoe, right? They took off his shoe and spit in his eye. Right? Some of you are also thinking, God, you don't live in Israel. You don't have to marry your brother's wife either. So that's... <laughs> but that was an inheritance issue because Israel was supposed to have an inheritance and it had to stay in the tribe because God didn't want the tribes. He didn't want the land going all over the place like this and being taken away because it was an inheritance for them. So that's why he did that the way that he did it to raise up seeds so the family name would continue on because that was important that was a, that was according to the to the promise of of israel for their land so a little different than uh that, than what it would be for us right uh, joshua 20 verse 4 and when he hath doth when he doth flee unto the one of the cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city. They shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. That was the kinsman redeemer, right? Or that was the, the, uh, the man that was running, right? And the kinsman redeemer was hot on his heels trying to go after him. And, or not the kinsman redeemer, but the... Um, Oh, I forgot. Uh, anyway, the dude that was after him, he was in trouble. He killed his brother, and his brother came looking for him, right? So he, he was coming to look for him, and, and uh, he was going to uh, avenge his brother. What's that? Yes, the Revenger of Blood. Thank you. The Revenger of Blood was coming, and he was, he was chasing hot on his heels, and he'd have to cry out at the gates of the city where all the business was done. They let me in. He's coming to kill me. Right, right. That was a picture. That city of refuge was a picture of Christ, right? and the refuge that is found in Christ. Amen. So anyway, so 2 Kings 7, 1 talks about the gates. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. How about Amos chapter 5, verse 10? We're going to go do this today. They hate him that rebuketh in the gate, and they abhor, they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. Well, it doesn't say they hate her. They hate him. Why? He's the one doing it. He's going to go to the gates. That's where, that's, that's where he's going to go, to the gate of the city, right? He's going to go to the gates where the people are, are congregated, and he's going to go there. And that's where the main business was done, is in the gates, right? But your duty, is to, your duty, lady, is to raise the men that will stand up in the gate or nurture them while they are young and tender and give them a stable and strong home that they can grow to be what God wants them to be. And you raise daughters that they will marry a son and add to that son's life, that man's life. You're raising your daughters so they will be good to a man and encourage him in his Christian walk and his life and be his helpmeet. That's your duty. Wait, you're saying my duty is to be raised up as a young daughter and, and, and to eventually be married and to be the helpmeet? Yes. That's why God created you. By the way, that's not a slight. I don't see how anybody, you know, like I've said it before, I'll say it again. You know what I think is a slight? For you to think that my wife is to be identical to me. Like God didn't make her good enough, so she's got to be like me. That's what a slight that is. What an absolute, you want to talk about, you want to talk about disrespectful to women. Well, this world is, feminism is disrespectful to women. They've taught women that unless they are identical to men, only with female body parts, unless they're identical to men, then they have no worth. Really? You, that's, the same, that's the same lie that Satan started in the garden. It's the same thing. He just built upon it.
different arguments, but the same thing, the same premise. I would never look at my daughters and, and, and want them to be like my son. Why? Why would I look at my wife and want her to be like me? Identical. Equal in value and worth? Absolutely. But identical? No, that's a slap in the face. Number one, to God. It's blasphemous to God. Number two, it's ungratefulness to God. And number three, it's pride and arrogancy to think that a woman has to be like a man. So you, you have to lose your identity and be a man with uh, female body parts? You, you're, you're not supposed to be what God created you to be? What a trick the devil's pulled. How many men have fallen for such a trick? How many women have fallen for such a trick? What a subtle trick. Strategium. Right? Spurgeon's mom said this. She said, Ah, Charles, I have often prayed the Lord to make you a Christian, but I never asked that you might become a Baptist. Spurgeon said, Ah, Mother, the Lord has answered your prayer with his usual bounty and given you exceedingly ab abundantly above all that you asked or thought. That's right. <laughs> Amen. Amen. In these prayers, she pleaded with God. She would pray for her son. And she pleaded with God to extend his saving mercy to her children. Charles remembered that on one occasion she prayed in this way. Prayed right in front of her children. Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. Amen. Amen. She said, it's not from ignorance, Lord. I've given them the truth. I've shared it with them. I've given it to them. If they do it, Lord, they're doing it on their own accord. And I'll witness against them. That's powerful. You say, I don't know if I can pray. I, oh, yeah. You better. You better. You better think like that. Because God's righteous and holy. God is just. And he is merciful to sinners. And as we preach the law of God as schoolmaster to bring men to Christ, we also preach the, the mercy of God to save lost sinners. And that he is well able to save their souls and willing. Amen. That's why his mother said that to him. You know, he said the thought of his own mother bearing witness against him pierced his soul and it stirred his heart. Her intercession made such a deep impression on her young son that many years later he would write this, How can I ever forget her tearful eye when she warned me to escape from the wrath to come? Another time she wrapped her arms around his neck and simply cried to God, Oh, that my son might live before thee. The deepest desire of her heart was to see her children embrace her Savior. Amen. you got to pray for your children. Mom, you got to pray for them. By the way, when your children are wrong and they're not doing right, when your children aren't doing right or they're, they're rebellious, or, that is the time for you to grab their hand as their mother or their father and pray for them and pray with them. It's not the time to stay away from them because it, it's like, you know, it, it bothers you. Your natural tendency is to want to not be around rebellion, right? It, it's to not be around that bad spirit or that... But the, but the absolute opposite is what you should do. You should grab your son or daughter's hand and you should say, we're going to pray. And we are going to pray about this. Why? Because that's your duty. 
No, they're not. You are, right? Exactly. They're not. They need you. They need you to guide them. You, when you see rebellion in your children, that's, that's more so time for prayer. Not less. You don't ever stop lifting their name up to God. You lift it up the more. And you lift it up in front of them. And you pray explicitly for them. And pray that God would have mercy on them in their rebellion and that they would repent. Amen. That their attitude is not right, that their heart is not right. And God, please make their heart right. Please deal with them in whatever way you have to. That they would be right. That's intercessory prayer. It's, you're commanded to do that. Not, oh, I'm going to let them go and go their own way. Oh, no, I'm not. That's all the stubbornness fight you got in you, is that? A little bit of rebellion they're showing you. You're done fighting. You're giving up. You're walking away. You ain't going to do right. You're going to let them go to hell. You're going to let them go off and live their own life. No way. They might run from you, but they can't run from your prayers. I'll say it again. They might run from you, but they can't run from your prayers. God knows where they're at. God knows their number. He's got it. Tell you, I believe in the power of prayer. I've watched it. I've lived it. I've seen it. I've watched God do miracles. There ain't nobody out of his reach. Nobody. You better pray for people. You better pray for your own children. You better lift their name up to God. And when they're rebellious, you lift it up. You lift it up right in front of them. That's called spiritual leadership, friend. You're the spiritual leaders of the home, mom and dad. You're the ones that have to lead. They get, their, they get the bulk of their direction and spirituality from you. I mean, their example, that is. They get it from you. So you pray for them. If their heart's not right, their attitude's not right, you pray for them. Pray for them to get their heart right. That God would deal with them. We can't be lazy Christians. And you can't be a lazy mother. Nor a wallflower. Amen. You're not some fixture in the home. I'll tell you one thing. If your children are going the wrong way, they ought to be afraid of your prayers. <laughs> they ought to be afraid of your prayers. If their heart is hard, you ought to look at them and say, son, I'm going to do something. I, I, I may not be able to stop you right now from doing what you're going to do, or daughter. I may not be able to stop you right now from doing what you're doing, but I know one person who can. I know one who can. I know one who can melt your heart, and I know one that can stop you in your tracks. And I'm going to pray to him. And I'm going to pray until he hears me and answers my prayer. You see that? What is that? That's the right fight. That's the right fight. It ain't giving up and, 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 and crying tears of worldly sorrow. Oh, I can't get him to this. I can't get him. Who are you crying the tears to? God or yourself? Are you sorrowing unto yourself? Take the, I, I'm not against crying. Hey, I've wept for many in this room I, 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 and many that aren't in this room. But you know something? You've got to weep to God. You've got to cry out to God. You've got to ask God to do that work. You've got to ask God to do that. Amen. And as a mother, you definitely have to ask God to do that. God hears those prayers. Do not be distracted from your duty because there are rewards here. The fruit of your works will praise you in the gates. You'll receive the fruit of your labors. It says, let her own works praise her in the gates. Thus, the virtuous woman will not be praised only in private by her own family, 
Obviously, this present wicked world doesn't love a virtuous woman, a godly woman, a keeper at home. They, they don't like them. They always want you to compromise what you believe. Oh, you, you, you don't even really dress like that, walk like that, talk like that, abstain from these things. You know, you're, you know, you're doing, you're going to marginalize yourself. Like, you're going to, people are going to, you know, not respect what you say because of that. Right? Well, are, if, what's that? Yeah, you lose your credibility, like geocentricity, right? You preach that, you're going to lose your credibility. Imagine the audacity of saying the sun rises and sets. What's the matter with you? What's wrong with you anyway? I've wondered that same thing. You see, her husband and her children will praise her. She'll be praised. When men see her children, they can't help but remark. And she's received rewards here. And by the way, when you see your children grow up and they marry and they have good marriages and they love the Lord and you see them walking in the fear of the Lord and, and you see them uh, adding to their husband or wife and, and being at one with them and, and, and seeing the fruit, that's the fruit of your labor. You see your grandchildren and you see that. You'll see the fruit of your labor, all that you've invested into their lives and that you've, that, that you've trained them for. Amen. You'll see that. You won't care if, 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 that you have a degree on the wall. You won't care if you went to some college somewhere or you had some career. That won't matter to you at all. Because most of it is vanity anyway. But what will stick into your mind and your heart is the fact that you see the fruit of your own labor before you. Amen. And people always look to the mother as how their children are raised. How the children are raised. They always look to the mom. They always remember that as well they should. Amen. So let me say this to you, that, that one thing. Children, don't do anything to shame your mothers. Number one, don't do anything to shame your God, but don't do anything to shame your mothers. You've been given, you've been given good teaching. You've been given good doctrine. You've been given good instruction. You've had parents that love you. You have a church that loves you. Don't do anything to shame your mother. Amen. You remember that you break her heart like that. You, ought to, you, you shouldn't do anything to do that. You ought to be ashamed of your own self for doing such a thing or thinking about doing such a thing. How could you after people have loved you and cared for you? Amen. Sacrifice for you. Women go through the jaws of death to bring forth life. Literally. Or literally, like my English friends say. But they go through the jaws of death to bring life and you're going and, and to abuse that and you're not going to love your mother and be kind to her and, and care for her and keep your testimony. Number one, for the Lord. Number two, for the mother that raised you. Amen. You think about that before you get arrogant and proud and want to go off and do your own thing and live your own life and do whatever you want to do. You're not an island unto yourself. Someone invested in you. Someone raised you. Someone taught you. See to it that you act like it. Amen. Let husbands and children in the church praise godly women. You know, as much as I have preached against ungodly women, so much the more will you hear me praise godly women. And I believe that. They're the salt of the earth. It's literally the salt of the church. I believe that. 
I, I absolutely believe that. When I go out, when, I, when we all, when us men gather up today and we go down there and we go preach in front of that place and we have women here and they love their children, they love their husbands and they love their children, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like being able to go out and do the work of the Lord and understand that you have a wife back there that is caring for everything, that is, that is supporting you, number one, and supporting your children and being there and watching them and caring for them and loving them. There's nothing like that in the world. This world has none of that to offer. They have vanity and, 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 and good looks and fake stuff and plastic bodies and all kinds of other stuff. Cheap imitations. Amen! That can never satisfy. Ever. The Bible calls them, the, the Christian, the salt of the earth, and that applies to the woman as well, especially. They're the cornerstones, the polished cornerstones of the home. Amen. That's, that's how they're, like I talked about on, on uh, Wednesday night. They're those polished cornerstones the Bible talks about. What does that mean? It means the whole, the whole home. She's a picture of Christ in the home, and that whole home is stronger because of her. If mom's not right, the home's not going to be right. People say, if mom's not happy, nobody's happy. No, if mom's not right. If mom's not holy, nobody's going to be holy. How about that? How about we change that? If mom's not holy, nobody in the home is going to be holy, right? There's a good chance of that. Why? Because she sets the tone for the home and following the Lord and, 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 and living for Christ. It's just, you, you won't get around that, friend. You're not there all the time. You're not with them all the time. You're not, you're not supposed to be. You're, you're supposed to do the work that God's called you to do as men. But, you, but your wife is going to be that, and it's, it's how God made it. That's what he said. And those daughters, they're being trained to be those cornerstones for that home, right? Polished cornerstones. They're being trained to be that. Amen. And Satan knows this, so he hates biblical womanhood. He hates it with a passion. Oh, he hates it. He hates Christ, the, the chief cornerstone. He hates everyone that follows after Christ. Hates him. The chief one being Christ, right? He hates the woman in her home that is modeled after Christ. He absolutely, by the way, he will do anything he can, and so will his kingdom do anything, and the Antichrist world do anything they can to distract you from the work that God has called you to do. I mean everything. Put in you notions that, that there's something better out there for you, uh, that career is better, that being out in the world is better, that having this is better, that having that is better, instead of exactly what God has given you, where you are, that God knows where you are, put you there and knows where you are right now at this time. Amen. Satan will do that, right? Try to distract you. He'll use the internet, movies, television, video, whatever it is. Whatever it is, it is somebody else's life. Right? That's right. Uh, and also uh, busy bodies into other men's affairs to look around at everything else and not worry about what you have right in front of you. So that's the ultimate distraction, that you not work what's in front of you, that you not do the work that's in front of you, but do everything else. Amen. When mom is fulfilling her role, then the house is strong and she'll be praised. It takes patience to wait to see the fruit of your labor ripen. But as you get gray hairs and wrinkles, the fruit of all your labor will show in the gates, in the chief places of concourse. 
Also, you know, this, this speaks of the elder women teaching the younger women as well by example. As you raise your children and they turn out for the Lord and they follow the Lord and they are seen in the gates, this is another way that your work is fulfilled, that the aged women likewise, they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And how exactly do they teach this? By example, first. They've lived it. They've lived it. And they are living it. They are obeying it. The force and power of the example they set by being that keeper at home will be seen in the gates. Rewards will come, and one of those is to guide the coming generations by teaching them the way God says you are to teach. There's nothing wrong with writing things and instructing things. I think ladies need those things too. In fact, we're going to be doing more of that with the Keepers at Home. We're going to put that on our website, and we'll be doing more with that in the future. Our own material, not anybody else's, right? We're, we're, going, to, we're going to take the best from everything, right, Brother Paul? Like we do, Geos, we're going to take the best from everything. We're going to write our own. Why? Well, because we're, we're the Lord's church. And we, just, we, we, have, we have a little bit of a different take than most ministries do out there about things. They are ministries. We are a church. <laughs> we are a church that has ministries, right? But we are a church. We see things totally different, in much respects, totally different than, mo than what many do. Much different than what many do out there. So we'll have our own materials. Amen. Because we have the ability to. We have, we have, we have uh, the capabilities here. God has gifted the church, and we believe that. For writing things, for instructing things, for teaching things, right? It's one of the reasons why uh, I believe uh, in in the older women teaching the younger women in the church. Do you know that my primary duty as a pastor is to oversee everything? But my primary duty isn't to teach women directly. You get that, right? Like, I, I believe there's a certain level of counseling that a pastor has to do sometimes if something comes up. I mean, it, it's true. There, there is that there. But for the most part, you know what? I'm not, I, I, don't, I think you've recognized the fact that I'm not a woman. I think that's pretty clear. I think that's, right? That's pretty clear. But I also recognize the fact that there are women here and there are godly women here. And those godly women here can talk to other women that need help and should talk to them more than a pastor does. Amen. I, I believe that. So that's one of the things that I am going to be working on is that, is that the older women are helping the younger women, older in the faith, helping the younger women as they deal with different things, as they deal with certain challenges and faces and facing different things that come up. And that's going to be more of the folk. Why? Because that's why God brought a body together. Amen. Right? And let's face it. Women are going to deal with women a lot better than men deal with women. That's just the truth. It just, it, it, it's just, it, it's the truth. When it, I mean, my own wife, my own daughters, that's different, right? But somebody else's wife, somebody else's daughters, or some, somebody else, men don't typically deal well with those things. Why? Well, they're not women. I don't think she, they don't understand a lot of things at a woman's level. I understand what the scriptures say, and I can point you in the right direction, but I'm not a woman. I mean, I can't. I'm not going to be that way, right? You're, we're just not that way. God didn't make me that way. That's why he, he brought older women to the church to do it. He raised them up, right? That's, that's the purpose of it. Why would I not 
work on maturing them to the level that they need to be to minister in the Lord's body. Amen. And guess what else it does? Frees me up to do the work that God wants me to do, which is yell at you men. So that's, 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 that's I only have so much energy and I need to focus on you guys uh, in that standpoint, right? I can, right? And then most of the time I do that, you won't cry. So that, it'll be most of the time. Right? But anyway, no, I'm kidding. But, but at the same time, but then I could oversee it if something happened. You didn't understand something or a lady said, Pastor, I don't know about this. I don't, I don't understand. Can you help me with this? Or, then that's what I'm here for, right? Or they ask their husband, right? And, you know, I don't know. Maybe Or their husband and wife come and say, Pastor, can we talk to you about this, how we could help somebody? Sure. Amen. That's the right way to do it, by the way. If you're married, it's to, it's to do it that way, right? And that'd be fine. But that's the order. Why? Because we're going to mature this body God's way. And that's how it matures, right? That's Because we have to... God has gifted those women with those things and he's, he's, he's uh, tempered them and brought them through things and they've served the Lord and been faithful. So now it's time for them to minister to others. I'm, I'm not going to try to do it all. I can't. Number one. And number two, God didn't tell me to. He said those, those women have a duty to do in the church and they ought to be doing it. Amen. Right? Just like widows, they have a, they have a duty in the church as well. There's, there, there, there's, a, there's, a, a, there's a, a work for them to do. Right? They have that too. Because they have a lot of experience. They've been through a lot of things. They've learned a lot along the way. And they have a duty, right? They have things that they, they have, they have opportunities to invest in the, in the, the, the generations to come. That's a sacred duty. It's important. Amen. So it's something that should be taken care of from that level. So anyway, that's, that's part of the ministry of a, of, a, of a virtuous wife, right? As she grows, she's an example to others. And then what can she do? She can help others and prepare them, other ladies, for that work, right? Then lastly here, we must not forget about the eternal rewards. There are rewards here, but the eternal rewards. We ought to always keep the judgment seat of Christ in all that we do. You know, your daily life, you and I ought to, ought to at times reflect on that we're going to see Jesus. Like we, we, ought to, we ought to think about that. That, you know what? I, better, I ought to be careful in what I do. Because I'm going to see the judge someday. Amen. And no, he's not going to throw... You realize, like, as a child of God, yeah, you're not going to be thrown into hell. That's not the point. See, when you correct children, there ought to be a place that they come to where it's not so much just the physical correction that they receive in that sense, but it's a place where they really are sad because they disappointed you. Like, they ought to see their love of their father and mother so much so that they don't want to disappoint you. That that matters to them. That's a maturity that comes uh, with that relationship as you raise them that, you know, that you don't want to disappoint them. That's how it is at the judgment seat of Christ for us. He loved us before we loved him. Right. That's right. And we should, it should bother us when we fail God. It should, it, it should bring us to repentance and remorse that, that, we didn't do things the way that we should have, that we had failures, that we've done things, right? So that should affect us. Revelation 3.10, Jesus said this, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, 
I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Amen. He's speaking to those in the churches there, right? He's saying, don't let any man take your crown. Hold fast. Hold fast to that truth. In your lives, hold fast to the things that you've been taught, the biblical things. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Holding fast. Amen. Him that, him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Amen. By the way, he's still talking to the churches there. That's us. Revelation 3. He's dealing with us directly here. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9 and 10. Paul said this, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Your works. Lady, your rewards come in heaven at the gates of heaven. Amen. When you enter into the joy of the Lord and those that have gone on before you, those that, those that you have ministered on, those that will come after you because of the work that you've done, that God used. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates, the gates of the city, the new Jerusalem. Your rewards come then. Revelation 21, verse 25. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. Revelation 22, 14, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they, may, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. The gates of heaven, right? The gates of the city. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 and through 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by, it any, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. 2 Timothy 4, 7. Paul's dying manifesto. By the way, lady, it should be yours too. He said, but I'm not a man that's soldiering out and fight. You're a soldier in your home for the work that God has called you. See, there's a part of you, the Bible says endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Do you think that's just, that just applies to men? Are you thinking that's just for male Christians? That God made that just for male Christians? No, there's a way that men have to endure hardness, and there's a way that you have to endure hardness. And for some reason, you may have gotten into your mind that that's not directed towards you, but it is directed towards you, because you are a soldier of the cross. Right? You're one that stays back and sticks by the stuff. You're not the one that goes on the front lines to battle out there in the world. Your battle is by the stuff. 
And the Bible says that you received the same reward as those that stuck by the stuff and as those that went out to battle on the front lines. Why? Because you're training them to go out to battle. Amen. That's the work. But Paul's dying manifesto was this in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. That's you. I hope you understand, lady, that, it, that you're that soldier that is to fight a good fight. You have a fight to fight. You have a war. Remember, a lot of it's against yourself, against your own flesh. There's a battle of your own flesh to be weary and well-doing. There's the battle. For some reason, when your children do things or when things don't go right in the home, do, do you think that you're exempt from the command to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ? When people, when it's a thankless ministry at times? When you feel unappreciated? Like nobody really cares what you do? When you sacrifice for others, for your husband, for your children, and they're not appreciative. And the Bible tells you to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It's not just for men. It's for you too. It's just a different fight. But it's still a fight nonetheless. Why? Because it's a fight for you not to get in the flesh and destroy your family and your home or, or ruin your testimony. You're to endure hardness. There's hardness that comes to you as a mother. There's much hardness that, as a wife. There's much hardness that comes to you. But you need to read these verses and you need to accept them. That they're not just for your husband or for somebody else, but they apply to you. That you're to endure hardness. That there are things that are going to come in your life. And that you have to fight, a, fight the good fight of faith. And you have to lay hold on eternal life. And you have to be able to say the same thing that the Apostle Paul said. I have fought a good fight at the end of your life. And I have finished my course and I've kept the faith. If you were to die now, you ought to be able to say that. You ought to live in such a way that at any time you die, male or female in this room, at any time you die, you ought to be able to say this. At the moment of death, you ought to be able to say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. That means you live right with God. You don't just get right with God, you live right with God. Enough of this idea of me having to always get right with God. Of course there's repentance in our life, and of course we're going to fail. But you ought to have a desire to be right with God, to live right with God, to walk in the Spirit. Amen. And when there's deviations from that, then we repent of that. But our life is to walk in the Spirit. That's what we're to be doing. You as a wife, you're to endure hardness as a good soldier. Why? Because you're going to wake up some days and not want to do things. Like, I don't want to face this problem. I don't want to face this challenge. I don't want to get up and do this. I don't want to deal with rebellious children today. I don't want to deal with people that don't want to do right. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I just want to just, you know, stick my covers over my head and not get up and deal with it and face life. Right? Or how about you? Maybe I don't want to go to work. It's too stressful as a man. There's too much stuff going on. There's too much. Well, that's part of your Christian walk to endure hardness as a, 
as a good soldier. That's why you get up and go to work. Do you think you're doing it for these lousy, wicked, lost men out there in the world? Is that why you think you're working is, is, is for all those people? I don't do what I do for, for, for those people. I do it for the Lord. I'm not any different than you because I'm a pastor. It's the same thing, right? You think people aren't ungrateful at times? You think, you think church members aren't ungrateful at times, right? Insensitive, all those other things that we can be as human beings, right? But that don't matter. I don't do it for that. I do it for the Lord. And you go out and work every day and be a good employee, not because you're trying to prove something to them, because you want to be obedient to God. You want to obey the Lord. It has nothing to do with them. That's irrelevant. Those people are. They don't go to work every day and suffer their garbage and their nonsense and their wicked attitudes and their, and, and their perversion and all that stuff because I'm trying to impress them. Or I'm, I'm, for them, no, it's for the Lord. Lady, don't forget that. That's the same work you have in the home. It's not when your husband's ungrateful at times or your children are ungrateful or, or, or whatever. You're not doing it for that. You're doing it for the Lord. And that's the time that you endure hardness, that you endure those struggles and those trials because of the rewards that are coming. Because you're going to meet Jesus someday. Right? Like Paul said, and therefore so run. <laughs> he runs. That's why. That's why he ran. That's why he did it. You have a crown waiting for you. Your praise will be in the gates of the city. James chapter 1, verse number 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. By the way, none of that is preaching you're going to be saved by your works. That's not what he's saying. <laughs> he's saying that God's people are tried. And enduring to the end is not biblical salvation. It's the fruit of salvation. The reason why you don't walk away, curse God, and say you're not a Christian anymore, and you're done with Jesus Christ, and you're not, is, is because God keeps you. Amen. And you're not going to be perfect, and you're going to have times of fainting, and that stuff's going to happen. But you know what? The Bible's very clear that God's people do endure. They endure hardness. They endure temptations. And by the way, that temptations isn't always sin. Sometimes that temptations is trials that come into your life that make your life harder, right? So you may wake up one day with absolute depression, not want to do anything, not even want to live, right? I mean, Job did. Job, Job did. I mean, he wanted to die. He wasn't going to take his own life because he, he was a saint. But, but he did ask God to take him. He did say, God, you can kill me if you want. <laughs> Jonah said the same thing, didn't he? <laughs> Lord, just go ahead and kill me. I do well to be angry, even unto death. I like what God said. Well, you ain't getting out of this that easy. You, you, think, you think I'm going to kill you? <laughs> I'm going to have that thing spit you up on that land with all those goobers all over you, and you are going in there to preach. You, you are going to look like the ugliest thing that they have ever seen in their life, but you are going there to preach. And he had that gourd, and he wanted to die, and he's like, oh, they, God took my gourd away. And God's like, you cared about that stupid gourd? Right? Right? 
But you're going to endure some, you got to endure some temptations as a lady, some trials, as a mother and a wife. You're going to endure those temptations. The Bible says you don't receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. You're doing it because you love Jesus. And if you're not, get your heart right and your motives right. Amen. You know, there's only one good thing about being wrong. When you're showed it, you can get right. That's the only good thing about that is that you can repent and get it right. Say, you know what I've been doing is for the wrong motivation. Right? Or I've had the wrong focus. Amen. Second John chapter 1, verse 8, look to yourselves. He's telling you to do a self-examination there. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Amen. Full reward in heaven at the judgment seat. That's the goal, right? Amen. So it's not just, it's not just you got saved and then you'll check into heaven one day. No, it's that you live a life that is well-pleasing to God by grace. You walk with God. You walk in the Spirit. You serve the Lord in whatever station of life, whether you're a man or a woman, whatever one God has given you. You hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Amen. That's the goal. It's not that, oh, everything's going to be perfect and I'm going to do everything right and I'm never going to have any of these. No, that's a fairy tale. I don't know where you've been. You need to quit reading those books. Um, that's a fairy tale life. That's not real. You're going to fail. You're going to fall. You're going to get up again. And you're going to keep going. Amen. That's life. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Paul gives his masterful dissertation on the resurrection. Then he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. He's talking to you too, lady. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's your labor, lady. That's your labor. It's not in vain. Satan may try to sow those seeds of discord in your mind that your labor is in vain, that it's all for naught, that it's all going to be over, that everything you worked for, everything that you did is all going to be in vain. That's a lie of the devil. And you ought not to believe that. You ought to believe what God says, not what, not what the devil tells you. Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Stand fast in the work that the Lord has called you to do, and let no man take thy crown. Lady, don't let this world talk you out of the work God has for you. Do not let other Christians shame you. Do not fall for the discontent of the devil. But you must be like a soldier and you're resolved to walk with God. You're resolved to be a godly, industrious, hardworking Christian wife and mother. Do not get distracted from your work. It is vitally important. You are judged by your works that you were commanded to do at the reward seat. Your judgment and praise will not be on what your husband's duties were, but what your duties are. Enough of making excuses for my spouse isn't doing right. No, no. You're judged by the work that you do. 
you're going to stand before God naked and open before God. Your husband won't be there to be judged with you. You'll be judged. Your wife won't be with you. You'll be judged. Stop using excuses of why somebody else doesn't so you don't have to do something. That's nonsense. You're going to stand before God naked and open before God at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. You won't be able to blame anybody. Amen. For why you're, you weren't the wife you were supposed to be or the husband you were supposed to be or the child of God that you were supposed to be. You won't be able to blame anybody else. You won't be able to blame your parents for not doing this right and that right and everybody else. No, you're going to stand before God and you're going to be judged. You're not going to be able to have a pity party with God up in heaven. That isn't going to work. God is not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that so shall he also reap. Amen. That's why there are no excuses. Neither a husband or a wife should be rotten, but they should be God-fearing and holy and care about one another and do all that you can to be a blessing to each other as joint heirs of Christ, that your prayers be not hindered. If there was one reason, one motivation for a husband and wife to work together, I can think of no better than your prayers not being hindered. That your prayers are important for your children, for your church, for your pastor, for your family, for those that are lost around you. That you need to be in one accord. You need to be one as a husband and wife together. Lady, think about your role. Think about the importance of it. And don't lose sight of it ever. Don't let yourself be distracted, discontented. But focus on the work that God has called you to do. And you'll rejoice in the end. When you see the work of your labor, all the fruit of your labor, and you'll rejoice in the end when you stand before God and receive your full reward. Father, Lord, thank you. We praise your name, Lord. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is able to save men's souls. We thank you, Lord, for your truth in the word of God that is clear and precise, that we're not confused by what you expect from us, Lord. You've made it very clear. Thank you for making it plain for us by your spirit. Lord, we pray for the lost, that they would be saved. Those that have never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior would come to know Jesus Christ today, would repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus. And Lord, I pray for the wives here, that they would endure some hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. That they would endure temptations and the trials that they go through. And I pray for husbands that we would be quick to praise our wives for the good that they do and encourage them in the Lord, encourage them in their walk with the Lord. And Father, we thank you for these godly women. We thank you for their example. We thank you for their sacrifice. We thank you for their love for you. And Lord, we thank you that they add to our lives richly. And Lord, we just pray for them. We pray that you'd increase their understanding, their love, and their care, and uh, their devotion to you, as well as to their husband and their children. Help us all to be focused and sober-minded on the work that we've been called to do. Lord, bless the food, the time, bless the time that we go uh, down there to be a witness for you to a dark and lost and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.